0: And thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We are in week 10 of a series we are calling By Faith, where we are learning what it looks like to live the life of faith, to believe beyond what we see with our natural eyes, to believe in more what we see with our eyes closed in the posture of prayer than what we see in the natural. As we learned in the first week of this series in Hebrews chapter 1, faith is the confidence that what we hope for is actually going to happen. It's the substance of things that we do not see with our natural eyes. And we've been learning how to be those kinds of people, the people that believe what we see in the Spirit more than what we see in the natural. And uh, to help us do that, we've been studying through the book of Hebrews chapter 11. If you're joining us for the first time, I uh, encourage you to go back and check out some of those sermons. But there, there's a list of heroes of, of our faith, men and women who came before us, that they, they live these incredible lives of faith. And we've talked about all of them, from Abel to Enoch to Noah to, to Abraham to Sarah and Moses. And, and last week, we talked about a group of people that, little shocked, made their way into the list of faithful uh, heroes of the faith. And that's the group of Israelites that wandered their way through the desert. But as we learned last week, by faith, they walked through the Red Sea and God buried their enemies in the waters when they crashed over them before they passed into, uh, well, what was supposed to be the journey into their promised land. And if you missed that one, if you don't go back and watch any of them, let me just again, strongly encourage you to do something. Go back and check that sermon out because it has proven to be very timely for many individuals in our church, even as you heard uh, this morning in those baptism testimonies because what we discussed last week was that The greatest door, one of the greatest doors God opens up to us, one of the greatest waters he opens up to us is the waters of baptism. Because in the waters of baptism, as we go through those waters, in the same way that God buried the enemies of the Israelites that wanted to drag them back into slavery, in the waters of baptism, those things that want to drag you back to the BC version of yourself, those old mindsets, those old addictions, those old habits, they are buried in the waters. And so please go back and check that one out if you haven't done so. Uh, but today, as we move on, we're going to look at one additional statement that the author here makes about the Israelites and another great move of faith. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews 11. We're going to look at just one verse here, but if not, it's going to pop up on the screen. Hebrews 11:30 reads like this. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days And the walls came tumbling down. If you go into church, you remember that old song, yes. And the walls came crashing down. By faith, the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days. Uh, now, this, like last week's story, is probably one of the more famous in the Bible. Uh, I would suspect that many in the room have probably heard the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho, uh, but I also know that there's a lot of new believers in the house, and so uh, bear with me for a couple of moments as I provide some context so that we can make sure we appropriately apply this message today. Uh, if you go back to Joshua 6, which we'll do in just a moment, uh, you read uh, about this story of Joshua and the Israelites as they're stepping up to this promised land in Canaan, the city of Jericho. Uh, And much the same fashion that we discussed last week, God opens up the waters of the Jordan River and they cross over on dry ground. And as they step onto the other side of the river, the fighting men are now staring at this city that God has promised his people for 40 years. Only the city is is not easily accessible. There's some some impenetrable walls. There's some giants on the other side of those walls that want very dearly to, to save their city from attack. And so God comes to Joshua and to the Israelites, and he begins to relay a battle plan, one that is odd, if we're being honest, a battle plan that will allow them to secure this 40-year-old promise. And here's the battle plan as we pick up in Joshua 6, verse 2. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town one, uh, once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast of the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So the people follow the Lord's instructions. They march around the city once the first day and the pastors are blowing the horns. They're just walking around the city and, and they do it again and again and again for six days. And then on the seventh day, they march around seven times and if you've ever heard anyone blow a shofar, that was the sound that the, the pastor, come on. Yeah, there's a Pentecostal over there. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the pastors let out one long blast. And uh, as the shofar goes off, the people begin to shout. And the walls come tumbling down. The walls come tumbling down. I'll read Joshua 6.20. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and they conquered it. Now, this is a story of epic proportions. It's, it's, It's an amazing story and one that according to Hebrews 11 displays for us what faith is supposed to look like. It says, by faith, the people of Israel circled. They marched around the city for seven days until the walls came crashing down. So to that end, I'm going to offer you a title as we jump in, and, and I'm going to apologize in advance if the title's a little offensive. Um, if you are a parent and you have children, this is probably a phrase you do not allow in your household. But we're all adults here today, okay? So, the title of this message is going to be "Shut Up and March." <laughs> Shut up and march! Come on, turn to the person. No, I'm just now. <laughs> now, if you are a parent like us who have forbade that phrase in your home. In fact, my, my, my youngest daughter, Livy, she's nine years old, and she still thinks that that's a cuss word. We taught them that that was a cuss word when they were kids, and so if she hears anybody say that, she immediately demands that you pay her a quarter for, the, for using that cuss word. So if, if Livy comes up to anybody in this room and she's like, my dad's a cusser, he uses the S word. I just need you to know it's that one. I just need to give that disclaimer and not the other one, okay? So if if you are offended by that title, I offer you an alternative. You can call this one, uh, what did I say? I don't remember. Stop talking, keep walking. There you go. I prefer the former, personally. Shut up and march. Okay. Let's uh, pray briefly before we dive in any deeper to this text. Jesus, help us to hear from you today. Thank you for the promise of your word that as we hear it taught, as we go to it, it has the power to transform our lives. And we ask, Holy Spirit, over these next couple of moments that you would do just that. You would transform the way we think. You would transform the way we live. That we would leave this place today changed forever because of the power of your word and the power of your spirit. We love you. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. So if you start thinking about the idea of walking in circles, traveling in circles, that's generally not something advisable. It's not something that we would consider a sign of success. If somebody is traveling in circles, chances are they are frustrated, lost, otherwise delayed, they're not making progress, at least by the way that we would assume people would make progress. Uh, For example, if you were to have to circle a block to find parking in San Francisco, something familiar to many of us, Uh, if you would go to the uh, Golden Gate Park on a Saturday or you go to uh, West Portal on Sunday after church to get lunch and you can't find any parking spots and so you just gotta keep circling around the block to find a parking spot, only to find as you turn around the corner that one opens up and then somebody that has not been waiting as long as you slips into that parking spot and you start cussing under your breath, you know, shut up, shut up, shut up, you know, (laughs) under your breath. (laughs) (laughs) Or even worse, you pull behind somebody that looks like they're about to get out of their car and then someone else gets like a parking spot five spots down and then you find out that guy was just getting something out of his trunk and you're like, shut up, shut up, shut up, you know, That's not generally a sign that you're winning, you know? You're not like, this is great. I really feel productive right now. Or have you ever been in a plane and the, the, the landing pad or the runway is clogged up and so the plane has to circle around the airport in the air for 30 minutes before they land Chances are you're not celebrating that circling. Or if you are the friend picking up that individual from the airport and you are circling around the arrivals gate over and over and over again and you know you can't park because it's expensive to park and your cheap friend didn't want to get an Uber from the airport, which is why they called you to come pick them up, they ain't going to pay you back if you park, and so you just keep circling around the airport. Come on, shout out to all the airport picker uppers, all right? Y'all are the real ones in the house today. Do you ever want to gauge, like, the quality of a friendship? Ask them to help you move. Ask them to pick you up from the airport. If they say no, just dump them and move on to somebody that's a little more valuable, all right? Yeah, yeah, circling is not generally something that we would associate with success. It's not a sign of progress. Yet, according to the story we read this morning, according to Hebrews 11, I think we need to reconsider the value of circling because apparently— The ability to circle is a sign of great faith. By faith, the Israelites circled. Uh, In fact, the author Mark Batterson of what I would consider one of the greatest books on prayer, The Circle Maker, he writes it like this. I believe that every blessing, breakthrough, miracle, and dream has a genealogy. And if you trace it all the way back to its origin, you will find a circle. You'll find a circle. So, so let's reconsider the circle for just a moment. God comes to the Israelites, and, and he begins to lay out this battle plan. And in my mind, as I imagine this whole scenario painted out, I, I see a group of Israelite warriors that are ready to fight. I mean, they've probably got some 40-year fighting aggression pent up on the inside of them, right? Probably a lot of testosterone pumping around, guys just bumping one another, like, we're going to kill them. That's what I see in my head. But, but I imagine all of that energy, all of that excitement, all of that adrenaline is immediately sucked out of the room as Joshua begins to tell the people how it is they're going to fight this battle. They were ready to go for it, swords in hand, ready to fight. And Joshua's like, all right, you guys ready? Here's what we're going to do. Yeah, let's go. All right, here's what I want you to stretch, okay? I want you to just get a little stretch going on, you know, a little, a little namaste, get your calves all worked out because we're going to go on a walk. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's, we're going to walk around the city. And we're going to do it one time every day for six days. Someone's going to blow the trumpet. And, and, and then oh, the, the seventh day, it gets better. Make sure your Fitbit's charged. You're going to want to get the steps in on this one. We're going to go around it seven times, all right? It's going to be amazing. And then after the seventh time, the walls are going to fall down. And we're going to go in and we're going to take the city. Come on, Jews on three. Jews. Wait, what? What? <laughs> This is a ridiculous battle plan. Sometimes I think we read things in Scripture and we're like, oh my gosh, that's so good. This is weird. This is a weird battle plan. If I am a soldier in this army, this is where I bounce. I'm like, y'all are crazy. No. This is not how we fight, walking around a city. This is ridiculous. Nothing about this battle plan seems like it's going to yield the desired result of walking into the promised land. Walking around a city? That doesn't seem like faith to me. That seems like foolishness to me. Yet isn't it interesting that sometimes God uses those things that look absolutely foolish to bring about some of the greatest victories in our life. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, God uses the foolish things of this world to confound, to confuse, to shame those who think that they are wise. Read through your Bible slowly. You'll find that God often uses some very foolish things. He tells a king in the Old Testament to go dip in a river seven times to be healed from leprosy. That's foolish. He tells a woman who has barely any food left to give everything she's got to the prophet so that she can be provided for. That's foolish. He tells Gideon to whittle his army of 32,000 men down to 300 before they go into battle. Foolish. He tells his disciples to feed 15,000 people with five loaves of Iron Kid's bread and a couple of fish. That's foolish. He tells Peter to go down and go fishing, open up the mouth of a fish and find a coin so that he can pay his taxes. I could use that right now. I just filed my taxes and I could use a fish. If anyone knows where I could find that fish, holla at your boy, all right? I mean, these things are foolish. They make absolutely no sense. Yet these are God's methods. Things that seem foolish. Listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, be warned up front. You will often be asked to do some things that look foolish. Maybe to you, but definitely to a lot of other people. But it is in the simple obedience of doing those seemingly foolish things that God brings about some of the greatest victories in your life. Come on, let me remind you of some of the foolish things. It is foolish to think that you can pray a passionate prayer and put some olive oil on somebody and it'll heal cancer, but it will. It is foolish to believe that memorizing some scriptures actually has the capacity to set you free from addiction to pornography or alcohol or drugs, but it can. It is foolish to believe that giving away of your resources actually positions you to receive more, but it does. It is foolish to believe, as we read in our Bible reading this morning, that serving people groceries on a Thursday night is how you become great in the kingdom of God, but it does. And it is foolish to believe that coming to a place like this, a rented Masonic center on a Sunday morning for 70 minutes, is actually the source of peace and joy in the presence of God. And you'll find more of it here than you will any weekend in Tahoe, week after week after week. But yet those foolish things seem to work, don't they? Hey, let me let you in on a little secret. The life of great faith is not necessarily always doing great things. It's doing the simple, seemingly foolish things over and over and over. Again, you wanna know what the life of faith looks like? Read your Bible every day, pray every day, come to church on the weekends, get into a small group, serve people when you see a need, give every time you get paid. It is in the obedience of the seemingly simple, mundane, circular, rhythmic, unsexy, unattractive, under-assuming things that you will find the greatest victories of your faith. Never underestimate the power of simple, simple, seemingly insignificant things They will change your life, which includes marching in circles. It includes marching in circles because according to scripture, by faith, the Israelites walked in circles around Jericho. Let's talk about Jericho for a couple of moments. We don't talk about Jericho. (laughs) I got kids, man. Some of you don't have any kids and all you watch is Disney movies. You're the one with real problems. All right, let's go. (laughs) Let's talk about Jericho. To the Israelites, Jericho was more than just a physical city. It was a physical representation of a spiritual promise that God had made to his people. Jericho, yes, was a land where they could live, but Jericho represented freedom. It represented blessing, represented prosperity. It represented rest and peace after 40 years of slavery. Jericho represented every single promise that God had made to his people. Which means that the Israelites were not the only ones with a Jericho. We all have a Jericho. We all have some promises that God has made to us. We all have some things that he has spoken over our lives. And maybe you're new to faith and you're like, well, God's never said anything to me. He's actually said quite a bit to you in his word. And there's a lot of promises contained in the scriptures. And honestly, they're very much the same as they were for Israel. He's promised you blessing and provision and freedom and peace and healing and joy. He's promised it all to us, but, but The longer you serve Jesus, the more you realize that like it was for Israel, so it is for us. Many of those promises find themselves on the other side of some walls. Many of those promises seem difficult to access. They involve an enemy that wants to keep you out. And, And that wall comes in many different forms, doesn't it? It comes in irreconcilable differences. It comes in diagnosis. It comes in lack. It comes in unemployment. You could paint it whatever color you want to paint it. We all have some walls that we're facing. But God's method for destroying walls remains the same. Might be foolish, but it remains the same. How does a believer see the walls fall so they can access the promises? Simple. You march in circles. You march in circles. And just so that we're not being cryptic about this, this is a posture of prayer. This is what it looks like to be a person of faith, to pray and keep praying, to knock, to seek, to ask, to believe, to refuse to quit until such a time that God says every single one of those walls are gonna fall so you can access what he's promised to you. It's to pray in circles. So, so, so to that end, let me ask you a very simple question as I do every week. Let me ask this of you what do you need to circle? What do you need to circle? What's your Jericho? What's the promise that lies on the other side of an impenetrable wall? I know some in the room right now, you have children that are far away from Jesus. That is an invitation to circle. I know some have marriages that are falling apart. That is an invitation to circle. I know some that have been waiting for a job for a year. That's an invitation to circle. Yes, do the practical things. Put the applications in. Get on LinkedIn. Put a picture of yourself that's a little more recent than the one you've got up there. But are you circling? What do you need to circle? I, I, I took this very literally this week. In, in the name of embracing seemingly foolish things to do, I, I, I begin to circle some things this week not just like spiritually, figuratively, but literally I began to circle some things. As I was preparing this message, I I got on my iPad and I I made a little list and at the top of that list, I, I put by faith circles and then I began to write down some things that lie behind walls in my life, some promises that lie behind some walls and I began to write those things down and after I wrote those things down, I took my iPad and put it on the ground and I just began to circle. And I began to pray. I said, Father, I know that this week we're heading to another appointment for my oldest daughter to figure out what's going on with that blood clot in her system. And God, right now I'm circling that thing again in prayer. I thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood so that her blood could be healed. And I pray that her blood veins would open up and that her liver would receive what it needs. I began to pray over some names of people in our community that are not a part of the church any longer because they've fallen back into old lifestyles or old addictions. And by name, I began to circle them. And I said, Father, bring them back into your house. Let them miss the presence of Jesus. May they long to be in your presence and among your family once again. I began to circle this building because I'm sick and tired of being a tenant and I said, "Father, I, I believe that one of the promises you've made to your people is that they will secure physical land. And so we thank you in advance that you are going to give us the land and we will redeem the land for your purposes." And I just circled. And and, and two things happened when I circled. Number 1, I got dizzy. my office is very small. <laughs> so I was doing one of these numbers. <laughs> like, Oh, is that the Holy Ghost or am I just about to throw up? Which one is it? <laughs> but, but secondly, my faith began to stir. I believe in much the same way that the faith of the Israelites was stirred as they begin to circle some things. Because as I was circling those things, God reminded me of some other circles that we had made and some other walls that had fallen down in our history past. And suddenly my faith began to grow. He reminded me specifically of some people that are sitting in this room right now. Maybe you don't know this, but before we were even a church, there was about 20 of us that made a decision to circle some of the neighborhoods surrounding this building. And we would come here during the week, and we would pray in front of this building, and then we, we would all go our separate directions, and we would literally circle around streets and neighborhoods. We'd go up and down the avenues and SF State and up into St. Francis because we need the bougie people here too. And we, we'd just start circling around some neighborhoods. And we would pray as we circle, we say, God, break down every barrier and every wall that keeps people from your house. Break down all the preconceived notions that people have about God and may they walk into the house of Jesus and may they experience your presence for the first time. Would you restore marriages in their house and would you bring sons and daughters back in the house and God, would you use this place to be transformative in the lives of people that are all around this area? And I will never forget the first Sunday where somebody walked up to me and introduced themselves and they told me where they lived and it was a street that I had walked around and I had prayed for. And I thought, that's an answer to a circled prayer. I will never forget the Discover class that I sat in when a young lady came up to me and she said, you walked onto SF State and you handed me an invitation to come to church and it took me two years to get here. But here I am two years later because someone showed up on my campus and they invited me into the house of God. These are circles. And as I prayed in circles around my iPad, God reminded me, I did it once before, and if I did it before, I will do it again. I am faithful to answer the prayers of those I will circle. So, so, what do you need to circle? What do you need to march around? And as you consider that, let me offer some advice. Advice from Uncle Tim. <laughs> Advice that's consistent with the title of our sermon today. As you're circling, don't talk too much. That might be good life advice for some people, but (laughs) don't talk too much. As our sermon title suggests, shut up. In March, stop talking. Just keep walking. Look at this advice that Joshua gives to the people of Israel as he commissions them to march around the city. Look what he says in Joshua 6.10. He says, do not shout, don't even talk. Joshua commanded, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. And then you're allowed to talk. Just when you thought this battle plan couldn't get any weirder, it just did. Things just got weird. Hey, I want you to walk, but you shut up. Don't you say nothing while you're t- Like, is this a power play for Joshua? Don't you talk until I tell you to talk. Like, why why would God command his people to do something ridiculous already, to march around the city, and then as they're marching, to forbid them to talk? Why would he refuse to allow them to open up their mouths? Let me tell you why. Because the last time they were standing by this city, and they were given permission to talk, they talked themselves right out of the promised land. So, so, so you remember last week during one of the points, I said, hey, we're going to revisit this next week. I'm going to have you tuck this little thought in your pocket, and we're going to take it out. So, so here's that chance, okay? You take your pocket out. We're going we're to pull that truth out. Because last week, here's what we determined. We determined that sometimes talking will keep you from walking. Today, I want to take that a step further. Sometimes talking will disqualify you from circling you go back to Numbers 14 and you read the story of Moses and the Israelites, uh, you'll discover that the people of God had been to this land once before. They'd found themselves on the borders of the promised land. And God gave them much the same promise that he gave to Joshua. He said, I have given you this land. But instead of going in and taking that land, what the Israelites decided to do was to send in 12 spies. And they sent in these spies. And for 40 days, the 12 spies looked around and they brought back their report, what they found to the Israelites some 40 days later. And when they brought back their report, they started talking. They talked about how the, the walls were, were very tall, and very thick. They talked about how there were giants in the land, descendants of Anak, and how there's no way that they could take those giants out. They felt like grasshoppers in their sight. They talked about how their warriors were strong and powerful, and any attempt to go in and take that city was surely going to end with their demise. They talked, and they talked, and they talked. And as they talked, the people listened, and then the people talked, and they talked, and they talked. And the Bible says that a bad report was spread throughout the camp until everybody began to doubt. And when doubt had settled into the hearts of the people, their confession was it would have been better for us to die in Egypt. Among millions of Israelites, two guys had faith, Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two that believed that God was able to bring them into the land of promise. But everybody else, they just talked themselves into a place of doubt. And you know what happened when they talked? God said, fine, you want to doubt? That's on you. My hands are clean. And if you want to doubt, you, you can go ahead and doubt. And you will never walk into the promise that I have for you. Because if you're doubt, I'll surrender you to those. And you will wander in the wilderness one year for every day those spies were in the land. And so for 40 years, an entire generation wandered around the desert. And they died in the desert because of their doubts. They were right there. They were standing on the border of the promise. But because of doubt, because they talked, they got shut out. So God comes to a new generation in the same spot. And he says, this time, you're not allowed to talk. This time, you don't get to speak to your neighbor about the impossibility of what's happening. This time, I just want you to shut up and march around the promise that I have given to you. Listen, I said it last week. I'll say it again. Be careful how much you're talking because you can talk yourself out of what God has for your future. It never ceases to amaze me how one conversation with a 10-spy person can begin to whittle away at your faith. It can be like a wet blanket or kryptonite to your faith as they tell you how somebody with a similar sickness died and how that marriage didn't make it and how in and their situation blah, 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 and they talk and talk and talk and suddenly that doubt begins to slip into your heart and you begin to gaze at the size of the walls and the size of the enemy instead of the size of your God. But you are a Joshua person. You are a Caleb person in the house today. You are not called to look at the size of your enemy. You're called to shut your mouth and just keep on marching because when my mouth is closed my ears are open and faith says or the bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god and so if i've heard what god says i can just march around that promise until the walls fall until the healing comes until the provision comes now i'm gonna shut up and i'm gonna march i'm gonna be a joshua person i'm gonna be a caleb person because i don't want to be one that dies off in the desert never seeing what God promised me, I wanna lay hold of everything that's on the other side of those walls. So stop talking, keep walking, keep marching. This TV has been off the entire time, so I don't know how long I've been preaching, but I assume we're near the end, so I'm gonna invite the band to come up as we conclude. One more thought as we, uh, as we end. As I was praying this week and preparing for the sermon, Um, there was a moment where the Holy Spirit whispered a promise to me, and one that I believe he wants to speak over all of us this morning. Uh, It's a promise that that God made to Joshua, and before he made that promise to Joshua, he made it to Moses, meaning that it was a generational promise. It was not restricted to the confines of time. And thus, as the Holy Spirit said, it's a promise that still stands for a new generation today. And here was the promise as Joshua was listening for the command of God to step into this land. He said this, the word of the Lord to Joshua, Joshua 1:3. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given to you. Translation, wherever you are faithful to circle, God will be faithful to deliver it to you. Mark Batterson, to quote him once again, he says this, we have not because we circle not. We have not because we haven't been faithfully committed to pray those circles. What do you need to circle today? I know that there's probably some who've prayed for some things that you haven't seen answers to yet. There's things that you've been believing for that haven't quite happened yet. The invitation of the Holy Spirit is Keep setting your foot one in front of the other. Keep marching, keep walking. Do not grow weary in your marching. Don't grow weary in your prayers. Don't be the person that that prayed once and it didn't happen and you're like, it doesn't work. (laughs) Person who gave one time and the door didn't open. You're like, this tithing thing's a joke. Be faithful, keep walking. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta walk the six days to get the seventh day promise. If Israel had stopped marching on day six, they would have never stepped into what God had for their future. Come on, sometimes you just gotta keep walking as weird and as uncomfortable as it feels until such a time that supernaturally God has decided to let those walls fall. But this is your promise. Wherever you set your foot, whatever you circle, It's gonna be land that God has given to you. So what do you need to circle today? Let's pray over it as we conclude this morning. Jesus, thank you for this invitation. Our hearts are open, our ears are open. We hear the command of Joshua, of Yeshua, to stop talking, stop doubting, Stop giving every excuse as to why it can't happen. And we're just going to be, we're going to be a marching people. We're going to be those that circle the promise. Right now, I pray for every person who's been contending for something that they haven't seen yet. I pray for Brittany and her healing right now in the name of Jesus. I pray for those that are praying for sons and daughters that we mention every week as we pray and are not in the house. Just as Moses needed someone to come alongside and keep his hands in the air so that the, enemy, or so the battle could rage on and the enemy could be defeated. God, we come around those right now. We lift hands in the spirit. We refuse to stop praying until we see the victory that you've promised to us. We will circle, we will circle. And, and as we conclude here in just a second, um, I, wanna, I wanna take one more moment and I wanna invite anyone who would say, hey Tim, um, I don't know that I'm even numbered among the military of God. I don't know that I'm one of those who has been given permission to march because I'm not in relationship with him. I'm at a distance. Today I want to invite you. Maybe, maybe the first step you need to take is a step in the direction of God because he's already taken a step in yours. He's already made a way. The Bible says that if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he resurrected on your behalf and you confess him as Lord, that you will be saved. In one moment, one second, your eternity can be spoken for if you're here this morning and you're far from Jesus and you need to make a decision to, to come running to him, I wanna invite you to do that today before we conclude. No one is looking around, but I'm gonna say a, a quick prayer before I do that. If that's you, you say, hey, I, Tim, I, I need to get things right with God before I leave this place. Um, would you lift your hand up and just look at me real quick so that I know who I am praying with as we get ready to do so? Thanks, bro. got you both in the back. Yeah. Yeah, right over here. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, sweetheart. I see you. More importantly, Jesus does. All right, let's pray. You can just pray this in your heart after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life and I thank you for giving yours for mine. Today, I I make a conscious decision to follow you. I, I walk in your direction. I confess you, our Lord. I receive forgiveness for my sins. And I ask that you would help me to be your disciple from this moment forward. May I walk in your ways until such a time that I pass from this earth and into eternity, and you look me in the face and you say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. I love you. Today I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate with a shout of victory for all those that come into Christ today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.